Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, welcome back to Brain Guru Studios. It's just gone midday, which means it is time for the call. And today we have a cracking selection of stocks to get through. And to help me do just that, I'm today joined by Mark Molin from Team Invest here live in the studio. G'day, Mark. Great to be here. Happy New Year. And to you too. Did you have a nice break? Fabulous. Fabulous. Just need not... to get back into it. Yes, okay. I was... Most people say not long enough, but I, uh, I like your enthusiasm. And of course, we've got Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Mate, good to see your smiling face. Andrew, Mark, good evening or good afternoon. It's been a, uh, a big, long period for me. I've been working right through. So I'm still well and truly in harness. Boy, do a break given my intro, but I'm looking forward to the next hour. Mate, I've known you for a long time. I don't think you've ever taken a holiday, even when forced to. <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's a good thing. It is definitely a good thing. We'll Guys, that we, have, we have a bunch of stocks to get through. But as always, we do start with the stock of the day. Uh, the producer got him and I got together and we just could not go past Nick Scarly. What a phenomenal uh, performance today on the market. But let's put that in context. What a phenomenal performance over a very uh, long stretch of years. They've come out and said that they expect the first half profit, underlying profit, to jump by around 100%. They saw some really good sales growth with that accelerating in the second quarter. Mark, you mentioned to me off air that you happened to snag some in March. So stuff you, I guess, is the first, is the first one. Seriously, well, though, well done. But but tell us why you did it and what you think of these results. Well, Nick Scarley, from a Team Invest point of view, we've liked Nick Scarley for a long time. In fact, back in the days when you were there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it's a fantastic company, founder, CEO. Doesn't have a bit of debt, though? Does it, that... it, 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 had a, it had a little bit of debt, but they yeah. own, I think, nine of their properties. Right. So they had some mortgage right. debt on those, yep. which before was about, I think, 40%-ish uh, debt to equity, which was okay. Then what's with the new accounting standards, all the leases, they've got a lot of long-term leases on their buildings. It's now bumped up to 280% debt. Gotcha. So technically it fails our, um, our debt filter now, yep. but we overlooked that because it, nothing's changed in this the business. It's just the way... Important nuance there. It is. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yep. So uh, founder CEO, um, or the son of the original one, Nick, so Anthony Scarley runs it. We know him quite well. Uh, it's a perfect example of how good businesses that are really, really well run prosper when times are tough. Yes. It's the perfect example. So they were, they were a screaming bargain in March and uh, my only mistake was I didn't buy enough. That's always the regret. Yeah, it? but yeah. I bought a reasonable amount, so yeah. I'm happy. And yeah. uh, my a return, I'm up, to have, I'm up a couple of hundred way. percent already, but I'm not selling them because yeah. as you said, they've just come out with a fantastic uh, earnings upgrade yeah. and they're only on a P of 12.9 prior to that anyway. Riddle so, me, that's what I don't understand because when you look back at this, this isn't just a nice half, although no. it is a very nice half, yeah. but they, these guys have been growing, their, their compound annual growth rate in earnings per share has been 20%. Like since 2011, right. that's just as far back as the data I easily mm -hmm. had at hand. Mm -hmm. So, so how is a company that's growing its bottom line at such a phenomenal rate trade at such a low PE and, and give a, a, a yield of almost five percent? What what is the market not well, like I about think this? My theory is that when Amazon originally uh, came in, or they talk, was talking of Amazon coming in, all retailers got smashed because the market assumed that that's the end of retail. Amazon's now going to you know eat their lunch, even for premium furniture. Everybody, yeah, okay. <laughs> even though yep. you don't really buy furniture on uh, Amazon, but anyway. They all got lumped in it together. And if you actually look at the PE ratios over the last five years, they've all, like all the good retailers, AX1, uh, JB Hi-Fi. Yep. So most around 10, 12% has been the norm, whilst mm. the rest of the market sailed away, arguably, arguably because of very low interest rates right. and, and right. the yield argument. Yep. Retail hasn't been adjusted where it should have. Because yeah. what you should be interested in is, what are, what's the earnings growth and is that sustainable? And if you're growing your earnings at 20% a year, how can the PE be 12? I mean, so, it's but, so by that argument, would you yeah. say it's it's cheap today, absolutely, even absolutely. after a big jump? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's at the moment we're showing it returning thirty one percent a year over the next five years if they can maintain their average growth rate over the last six years, not just the big spike they've had. Yeah, yeah. You got a thirty percent return. Now, how many stocks are there on the ASX where you can get a thirty percent return for what is a proven quality business with an excellent uh, business model? It's yep. quite unique. Yeah. And uh, it's also paying, as you said, five percent. 
uh, Frank Divinum yeah, as well. Not bad. Mm. Hey, Scott, what, what do you think about Nick Scully? I mean, Mark makes some really good points there, but I guess one that I know you and I have talked about previously is this, I guess a, a, a lot of investors have this problem and, and I think we're all susceptible to it. We go, oh, what a great company. Oh, it's jumped up 10% today. I'm just going to wait for it to come back. And we try to be a little bit too clever by half. Is this mm. potentially a problem for anyone who's looking at Nick Scully today? Look, it can be, Andrew. I think that's the key question for investors to think about, not just what's happening now, but what the future looks like. The past is useful. The current price movements are almost meaningless other than to tell you what the market's currently thinking. Future profitability and the valuation thereof is all that matters. Now, if you're a growth investor, you look further out of that future profitability. But at the end of the day, all share prices are simply a function of future earnings. They must be by definition. Mm. Otherwise, you're in speculation land and no one wants to do that. So, yeah, look, it could, could well be the case that the, the, the market's either getting it right or getting it wrong, but you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be put off by whatever rise or fall happens today. The only question is, what does the profit look like now? Mm. More importantly, what will it look like in the future and how much do I pay for that? I can't disagree strongly with any of Mark's points, I have to say. Um, if there's any concern I have, it might just be that you want to be careful with all of these retailers, including some I own, by the way, so I'm not throwing stones out of my own little glass house. Um, just to think about what the future you know, earnings might look like, given that People seem to have funneled their European holiday funds into replacing the, the lounges and the TVs and the right. and the coffee tables. At, at some point, there's only so many times you can do that. I mean, you can do it forever, but people aren't going to do it forever. And so there is some question about what level of demand and profitability is genuinely sustainable and what is a one-off bump. But that doesn't make it not worth investing in, by the way. It's not a reason not to invest. It's just a reason to look at it and say, what is the underlying earnings potential? Mm. Strip out one-off falls from this year for businesses that have suffered, strip out one-off gains for businesses this year that have done spectacularly well, like Nick Scarley, and simply ask yourself, what does the future look like mm. when we normalize, and we will in 2021 or 2022, what, is a, what does a normal future look like for Nick Scarley? And that's probably the question. I think it's not as cheap as it appears, but nor is it expensive as some might like to point out. Um, I struggle to dislike it. There's, there's nothing to dislike about this business and its success as long as you make sure you pay the right price based <clears> on those potentials. <throat> I'm going to press you on it though. Is today the right price for you? I'll put down as a buy, Andrew. I'm not. I'm not. It's not a formal buy at the Motley Fool, uh, but I think it's probably going to be a market beater from here. So let me put it down as a buy. But I will say, I expect it to be volatile over 2021 because the market will, from time to time, look at sales numbers and say, "Hang on, sales are going backwards today, or earnings going backwards today because of that dip." And people may well overreact to that. So I, I, I'm not worried about the 2021 results. If I'm buying it today, I'm putting it in the draw, and I'm worrying about it next January. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not suggesting or, or forecasting what the price will do over the next twelve months. Other than as one of your favourites, mate, it will fluctuate. It may, it may well. <laughs> and and I guess <clears throat> you make an excellent point. But I would. I would actually extend that to every single stock on the ASX. I mean, you find me a single stock that isn't volatile. You know. So I think anyone who's buying shares with the expectation that they just go up in a nice steady staircase time pattern is probably kidding themselves. So excellent points there, gents. Let's not go uh, too far into Nick Scarley because uh, we won't get to the other stocks. And we've got a whole bunch of stocks to get through today. We're going to start off with one that John has sent through. John is interested in Westpac. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not... It's hard to go too many shows without one of the big banks coming up. Scott, I'm going to stay, stay with you. Let's talk Westpac, but also a few comments, if you could, on the, 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 the big four in general. Yeah, so look, it's been a fascinating year for basically, as you mentioned, all, all companies in the ASX, Andrew, and Westpac, far from, I think the banking sector was up 20 or 22% in November alone. Feels like a long time ago, but you think about that. I mean, for, for a single sector to be up 20%, let alone the big banks, and as part of that, frankly, the, the business that, or the, the sector that is most um, important, most valuable for the ASX itself, it's been a phenomenal, sorry, you see that graph, it's just a phenomenal rise. Um, again, speaking of bargains, we would have been nice to buy some in March if we knew now. Then what we know now. Um, that being yeah. said, I don't know they're necessarily market beating since that time. It's just that the market has moved up and the banks with it, almost by definition. I, my biggest concern with the banks right now is the PEs. If you think about, look, the banks deserve to be at a higher share price than they were a month, two months, three months ago. That's an easy one because bad debts will not be as high as people feared. House prices will not crash. Those things that people were expecting to happen aren't going to happen. If they are, it'll be at some future point for new or um, you know updated, improved. Uh, conditions, other X factors that may well hit the market. So if you said in August, September, look, you know, this COVID thing might go on forever, house prices might crash, the economy might fall, all those things you thought were possible are no longer likely. And so that should mean higher prices all else being equal. The question or the problem I have is I think the prices then weren't low enough and I think the prices now are too high, despite that ugly looking graph. Um, if you think about the way that, you know, 20 times earnings for a bank, 
22, 23, for some of the Commonwealth Bank might be at 23, 24 times earnings. That is a phenomenally large number. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark already talked about the fact Nick Scarly, as a, as a really fast grower, is trading on a, you know, a teens-ish PE. A bank that's likely to not have meaningful growth over five or 10 years from here, to be trading a P of 22 or 24. So it's much more about investor sentiment than it does about the business itself. So I don't hate the business. I'm not in the bank hater group. I don't own any banks, I never have. We've recommended a couple for short times at the Motley Fool, but we're not still not huge fans, but nor am I the, the biggest bear in the market as, as you well know, Andrew. I think you probably take that title almost. Uh, but the, uh, look, I, you know, I, I think there's time to buy the banks potentially given the circumstances working in your favor. Paying this sort of price for that sort of outlook, I'm not a fan. Yeah, and you're you're not going to bait me on on house prices there, Mr. Phillips. Uh, <laughs> although I do, I really do take your um your point on on earnings growth here. I had a quick look. Uh, per share earnings have been flat for ten years, Mark, yeah. for this company. And this is obviously they had a, a shocker of a year in 2020. But strip that out, they'd still gone nowhere. Dividends have done nothing <clears throat> for. Uh, I think the, the dividends, in fact, less than what it was in in 2014. And that's usually the argument for the yeah. banks. Yeah. Uh, give me a reason to buy it. Well, that's hard. That's hard. Now, <laughs> okay. uh, we, we discussed this in Team Invest, and I've got members who bought into the banks at listing. Now, if you own it, if you bought it in at $5 or whatever it was, and you've had it, and you can look at this two ways. Right. And you can say, well, if I'm getting $2 dividend, and so I'm getting nearly 50% of my, what I, my uh, capital was when I invested in it every year. Yeah. Now, that looks good. Now, the other, the other way of looking at it is saying, well, from here, would you buy it now? No way. So there's an argument to say, if you've owned it for a long time, there's tax considerations and things as well. Uh, should you keep it? Well, that's, for, that's for me, a that's discussion. The, the only consideration is the tax consideration yep. because the question isn't what you paid for it. The market no. doesn't know what you paid no. for it. No. All that matters is that you've got X dollars in this thing now. But you know because you see it in your statement. Well, but who, no one else does though. <laughs> and and so no one certainly cares. And you could press a couple buttons on your yeah. smartphone mm-hmm. and that could be into it. You could change, the, 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 the jockey can change horses yeah. at any point. And well, so I'm, without tax <clears throat> consideration, the, the question really is not what is your return on purchase price? What is your return on capital going forward? Absolutely. Well, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, I did buy the banks. I bought, I bought, I bought Combank and Westpac in uh, Don't uh, say GFC. Oh, okay. No, 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 no GFC. <laughs> okay. no, I kept yeah. them for a couple of years and I actually did quite well. I sold them too soon, but I have zero interest in the banks. I think they're low growth. They've got structural headwinds all over the place. You've got all these fintechs coming in, chomping away. They're not going to beat them, but they're taking away a lot of the profitable areas of the business. You've got, you've got uh, Tyro, you know, growing in payments and all these areas of the business, they're chomp, 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 yeah. little, little piranhas all around them. Yeah. And, they, and they've got massive leverage to residential real estate. And Scott said he doesn't think there's going to be a problem now. Well, it's not looking that way, but who knows? So mm. it's definitely a risk factor mm. for the banks. So I wouldn't go near them because really what you're doing is you're paying um, an absurd PE ratio for no no, growth, no earnings growth. And in fact, it's negative. Yeah. So they're, uh, they're gross now very much in a downtrend, which means the, the, the dividend will come down over time as well, yeah. unless their earnings pick up. Um, historically, I remember Howard looked at some stats on it and he came up with this. If you can buy the major banks uh, under a PE of 10, you, you, you always do well. If you pay over 15, you always do badly. Yeah. It's <laughs> not a bad and It's a simple, simple heuristic yeah. you know, to look at. Yeah. No, and and I think he's right. He's right. 22, ridiculously expensive. No way would I buy it. I should probably be more impartial as host than I am, but I'm going to agree emphatically with both of you there. So that's two thumbs down, three if you want to throw my opinion into the <laughs> ring. Let's talk about something far more interesting. And this is integrated research. I'm going to put my hand up. I am a shareholder, so phenomenally biased here. And I probably shouldn't boast too much about this because, wow, shares have only been going in one direction in recent times, and that is not a good direction. Mark, tell us about integrated research. Uh, well, Sam wants to know. Okay, well, I'm with you. I'm a shareholder as well. Um, only recently, um, I bought some at 320 uh, a month or two ago, and they're down to 260, I think, now. <laughs> so I, I took another nibble too. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I'm going to buy some yeah. more. Um, this is a quality company. It's got annuity uh, revenue streams. Basically, what they do is they provide monitoring of critical systems for banks. So I think they've got the top 10, big, 10 biggest banks in the world, including American Express and so on in the US. So Most of the Fortune 500. Yeah, they've got, they've got, they've got yeah. like the really top end of town. They provide monitoring of their websites and their, pay, their, um, their call centers and so on it's to make sure everything's working. So it's a critical part of their infrastructure, relatively low cost which means they have very, very high retention. I think it's running at 98% or something. So they very rarely lose a client. That's what we call a trapdoor mode. You know, because once you're in, it's too hard to get out. The opportunity cost to move is too great. I think they tend to lose a client when they go bankrupt or they get acquired. That's right. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So fabulous business. It's had a, a founder who's moved out. We haven't got all day to talk about it. So, um, and the, they, they've changed CEOs. They've come out uh, 
very recently with a, a earnings downgrade, in fact two, uh, where they said because of coronavirus impact, the, their sales pipeline stopped because basically the companies they were selling to, and that still makes up 40% of their revenue or something, um, basically put everything on hold. Yep. Uh, and I believe that. Yep. You know, so I see this as being a short-term impact of corona. Um, they said a few weeks ago they, they hoped it would be okay and then came back and said, no, it was worse than we thought. So what that means is they're dropping their earnings from I think it was 18 million last uh, year or was that the half or full year, I can't remember, uh, down to a large range, two to something, you know, so yeah. big hit on earnings short term. Yep. Um, to me, that's probably it's be in, ugly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it could get uglier. Yep. They're in the bottom quartile of their PE range. The PE at the moment is 19. For them, that's cheap. That's in the bottom quartile by a long way. Yep. Um, it's been much, much higher than that. And I've been looking to buy it for a long time. 29% return on equity. We're showing it returning on a five year uh, uh, forward estimate for our point of view, 19% a year. Okay. So quality business, happy so to buy more. That's a buy. It's a buy, yeah. Scott, um, help bring some balance to this love in if you can, mate. Uh, <laughs> what, what are we missing here? Oh, look, I'm, just, I'm just better because I missed it. Look, I, you know, it's a funny one that the heuristics that drive investors, it's worth thinking about the things that generally we get right or generally that make sense. And Mark mentioned one about the banks before from Howard. It can often, you know, sometimes actually lead you astray, but not, not for the for the right reasons, if that makes sense. And for me, with integrated research, we actually recommended it age and age ago. It was the very first recommendation of one of our services. And we sold it when, as, as Mark's already mentioned, the founder stepped away, um, who was pretty much the power behind the throne for the longest time, had been through a couple of CEOs. And we simply went, you know what, two, you know, two, two or three CEOs in a short period of time, founder steps away, who knows what happens next. Let's just, you know, let's just take a breather and step away. Now that was, you know, at a bad time in the end, and we lost some money or we missed out on some gains in doing that. But we think for the right reasons. That being said, as I said, it's gone well since. I like the business. I love the software. I'm not as close to managers as I once was, to be fair. And when I say close, I don't mean literally personally close, just I don't know them as well. Um, and, and so I don't really have a view on the current management team. The concern is always that they were the third party in a relationship. They were normally going through another vendor to get to the customer. And without having strong relationships with those kind of you know intermediary vendors, that, that puts mm. you a little bit of risk. I think I've resolved quite a bit of that recently. And I think the business is looking pretty good. I'm not sure I want to be buying it at today's price, but the fall has certainly got me interested. So I'm not going to go with a buy just yet, but I will go with more work required. Definitely worth having a look, a more of a look at to see if the price is now cheap enough to entice me back onto the buy list. Um, certainly, as you can see from that, that chart, it's been a, a, a tough old year, you know, a good year for a while, and then it's come back well and truly to earth. That might be on getting missed by the market. So I'll, given your both your gentlemen's uh, positivity about the company, you put it down as my uh, research stock, but certainly one that I think Underlying, really great tech, really useful. I do worry a little bit about being the limited partner to someone else's general partner. That's often a risky and dangerous place to be. We've seen that many times in many industries, but certainly not enough to keep me away if the price looks good enough and if the track record remains strong. All right, uh, good. some good counterpoints there. Scott, I'm gonna stay with you and we're gonna talk about one of the Bevan Slattery companies. <clears throat> and uh, Bevan's got form, let's say, when it comes to technology companies. And uh, we've got Gil who's written in asking about Megaport. The ASX ticker code there is MP1. It's one of those ones that uh, the share price has gone phenomenally well. They're still loss making. Uh, shares up about seven fold or so in the last five years. So it's been an incredible run. But sales are growing really, really, really quickly. Uh, is it too early for you? Do you wait to see until profitability has hit or are you happy enough to get in now? So and we've talked to, and Mark and I have a similar issue view on, on some of these things. We differ on, on others, of course. But broadly speaking, whenever we're giving recommendations here or positive views, uh, it's easy to pick an individual company or so how to pick an individual company. So this will definitely beat the market rather than a basket of these types of companies might do well. And that you know adds a degree of risk or a degree of um, probability assessment you kind of need to go through at some level, right? So do I feel great about Megaport? Not specifically individually. Do I have a, a super high level of conviction? No. That being said, if I had a dozen companies with similar outlooks, I'd actually buy the basket. Mm. So yes, I'm talking about both sides of my mouth to some degree. What I'm saying is each are high risk, but they have high, very high potential returns. And so the more of these you buy, the more I think the, the odds play out in your favor. Whereas Again, you toss a coin with a 60-40 split, toss as long as you want, you make a fortune. If you only get to toss it once, you're still gonna get either a head or a tail, you can't get a 60-40 result. So even even a loaded coin won't, won't do you right if you only touch it once or twice. Mm. When it comes to Megaport, what I love about this business is it's it's basically time-sharing data in a way that Vocus, for those who, who know Vocus, and I know that the, um, the stream is actually spotted by Vocus uh, here at Ausbiz, so that's interesting as well. But um, you know, Megaport basically fractionalizes access to data 
and you pay up that they effectively sell more data than they can provide knowing that not everyone's going to want it at the same time and it's a it's an ugly and clumsy analogy but it's like gym memberships if everybody with a gym membership particularly this time of year all went at the same time you couldn't move in the places but they know that a most people don't turn up once they bought a membership and b even when they do they come out turn up at different times mm. and so the, the fact they're provisioning everybody for more data they can actually provide if that sounds like a bank run it kind of could be at one level at least not um not, not for money but for data but the reality is they get to sell the same access multiple times over and Vocus has done exactly that with putting a lot of lines in the ground and selling access to that data over the top of that you don't have to buy the cable but you buy access to it megaport basically fractionalizing that in a timeshare kind of way uh, but overselling it as i said more akin to gym memberships that makes it a really attractive model one where people are going to pay up for that because they don't need a whole pipe but they want a decent chunk of it a few people do the same thing and you can actually make margins that are way way in excess of what it would actually cost if you're going to buy just that pure access alone and that's really good for megaport the price is pretty pricey though as you mentioned mate like this is why i wouldn't say to people just go and buy this one i think this one alone will do well what i do think is if you've got a, a dozen companies with similar attributes i think they'll do really really well megaport sales as you say are flying and i think will continue to for a long time bevan slattery has a great track record so you wouldn't bet against it and certainly in a portfolio of similar companies i'd happily add this one as one of the best in the breed okay uh, mark what do you think i wouldn't touch it Okay, and, and the reason I wouldn't touch it is the uh, I agree with what Scott said about the business model. You mm. know, that's an attractive sounding business model. Yeah, but they've been going for five years now. It's not capital intensive from the way I, um, from the way I look at it. And if you look at their how well they're performing, their earnings, their sales are thirty eight cents per share, and the share price is fourteen dollars, which means you're paying thirty seven times sales, not profit. <clears throat> and interestingly, their revenue, total gross revenue, was fifty eight million last year, and they made a loss of forty seven million. So that is a long way away from breaking even. Now you could argue on the positive side that um, sales are increasing, but the losses are increasing as well. So as they're selling more, they're losing more. Mm. So when do they actually make this attractive business model turn out to be something good for shareholders? Yeah. And for me, that looks like it's a long way off. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a, totally speculative. There's no way you could value it or come okay. up with any view on what, what it's going to do. And sure, the market's loved it and the price has gone up, but there's yeah. no basis for it. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the further <coughs> the price goes up, the more difficult the proposition well, One goes. last thing I'll throw in. I had a look at the shares outstanding, and they've gone, over the five years, they've gone from 40 million to, uh, to 153 million shares outstanding over the uh, five years. So in other words, they've, uh, they've gone up four times the, the amount of shares out of issue as well. Yeah. yeah, I had someone ask me on the weekend, I mean, how, did the company, how do all these companies stay around for so long where they don't make any money? Well, they, they, shares. there's your answer. That's right. There's your answer right there. Yeah, so they're like, being funded by shareholders. Funded by shareholders. Let's, um, let's move on because as usual, we're, we're running up against the really? clock here. And this might actually, yeah, time flies when you're having fun. Um, this might actually give us an opportunity to, to move pretty reasonably quickly. And that's because I know you gents rather well. Mark, I'll stay with you. Mike wants to know about Bellevue Gold. So it fits the mold in a lot of ways, never made a sale, never made a profit. However, shares have doubled in the last 12 months. And to give credit where it's due, they have seemed, from what I was able to, to glean, they have found a lot of gold. Does that give them some, does that give shareholders a reason or investors a reason to become shareholders? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very old model in gold mining in Australia, isn't it? You know, you, 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 you find some things and then you talk it up. So it's a story. Now, this is a company it used to be called um, Dra Drag Resources. So from what I can gather is what they've done is they've bought a mine that hasn't been operating for 20 years or something that's flooded right. and so on. And whether that's why they stopped mining, I don't know. Okay. I didn't get that deeply into it. It was, yeah. you know, how much study can you do on something you have no interest in? <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> you know, and they, what they're doing is they, they talk strongly about the area they're in, which is super. Uh, productive and you know it's a great mining area they're in they've got a couple of major leases but they're not actually mining anything yet so for my looking at it, it looks like they've got a couple of years to go mm -hmm. <clears throat> before they actually uh, will start delivering anything yep um, they've got a bit of cash in the account which is uh, which is okay uh, the rate the gold uh, I think it's 10 carat 10 grams per ton I saw that too. which is yeah. you know like best in the world type standard yeah. at the moment if that's all true yeah um, I don't think it's got to the point where uh, that's totally proven a lot of it's inferred a lot of it's there's all these different stages sure I sort of looked at it and think, yeah outside my pay grade yeah to be able to make a uh, an intelligent judgment on it but I'd be knowing and I have no interest in it because it's uh, be it's quite speculative and you'd have to see whether they can convert it. If they manage it all well, it's a good story. Yeah, it, it is interesting though, isn't it, from <clears> just a, an engineering standpoint, how much earth you have to move to get this stuff. You know, for every ton you dig up, you have to process that and you'll get 10 grams out of it. Scott, they do have about 2.4 mega ounces though, and we're looking at an ounce of gold, what? 
close enough to two thousand dollars. Is that uh, does that give it some some value? Some value, yes. How much value? I think that's the uh, that's the key question for investors <laughs> and potential shareholders. Uh, look, I think you know, to, to Mark, Mark's made the points beautifully already. You have a potential resource which you may be able to access. You may be able to commercialize. You may be able to avoid all the risks that go with all of those things, and you may get a price that's high enough. To your point about two thousand dollars an ounce for gold, Andrew. By the time they get it out of the ground, it could be a thousand or three thousand or five or zero or anywhere in between. And so, mm, you yeah. kind of there are so many probabilistic statements you have to add together. You know, X chance of this, X chance of that. Maybe the price is X. Maybe the cost is Y. Um, as Mark said, the, the challenge, unfortunately, is so much of the good news is already priced in. Even if those things are true, it's possible to pay too much for an asset or for an investment. And now I'm not saying Bellevue is necessarily too expensive. All I'm saying is there's a lot assumed in the current price for a business that is pretty much, as Mark's already said, largely a story with a lot of hopes attached to it. Maybe it does well. You know, Fortescue is a great example of a business that at some point was a hopes and dreams business. It's now one of the biggest and best iron ore miners in the world. Uh, you know, at some point it was a maybe it will, maybe it won't story. Yeah. There's plenty of others, of course, that were the same and end up being maybe they won't stories. And it kind of is lots of ticket stuff. Will it be Bellevue? Will it be somebody else? Will they make money? How long does it take? How well are the shares priced? It, it, I mean, it's a crapshoot. I, I can't recommend anyone invest in it on that basis. If you do, you're speculating and that's fine if that's what you want to do. Just know that that's what you're doing. There is no fundamental basis, I don't think, for paying mm -hmm. the current price for Bellevue shares. Well, Mike, I hope that has helped you too. And a quick glance at the cash flow statement is probably worth it as well. Zero customer receipts, of course, but they are burning through about 700K per quarter. So at some point, they, they may well need to raise cash. And as the guy said, it could be several years away before anything is shipped. So let's let's stay on theme if we can here. Rob wants to know about Deterra royalties. And this one, I have to admit, was interesting. So it is still associated with the mining space, but they're not miners per se. They're, they're purchasers and issuers, as I understand it, of royalties. Can you shed a bit more light on the business model here, Scott? So it's a real, it's fascinating as you say, mate. I, I am, I'm not yet sure whether it's kind of clever or too clever by half. And it's one of those things that investors really need to understand very, very well. We know for the longest time that, for example, take take um, Crown Resorts, right? At one point, they're going to separate the property from the gaming businesses on the basis that investors see these two parts of their business very differently. And even though most of us would say that together or apart, the assets should be worth the same value, mm. the simple reality is that we know investors, because we're not rational beings most of the time, will pay different amounts for that. So if you could take, uh, Woolworths did the same, for example, with the shopping centers Australasia. They simply said, okay, well, inside Woolies it's worth X, but outside Woolies it's worth Y. Same asset, should be worth the same no matter what. But if we put it outside, different investors will pay different amounts for different balance sheet structures and all that kind of stuff that goes right. with so it. So it's now, like saying 10 divided by 2 equals 6. Basically, right. Exactly right, yeah. For, for, you know, 10, 10 is 10, but if you separate it two halves, you've got 6 and 6. Mm. You know, so how, how is that possible? The answer is just because different groups of investors want different things, will pay up different amounts. The property investors don't want supermarkets. The gaming investors don't want property. But if you separate them all out enough different pieces, you can you can maybe create some value in, in air quotes. Um, I think it's largely rubbish, but it is what it is. Now, for Deterra, this was broken out basically by Luca, and it's a business, or I'll say business in air quotes, it's a structure that basically has access to and, and legal rights to a proportion of the royalties or the revenues that come from the mining operations. So if you think about it, on one hand, you've got, and they separate in their own presentation, there's the, there's the, the resource, so take iron ore, for example, there's the iron ore miner, and then there's the royalty business, which in theory is separated out from both of those components. It just takes takes the cream. It takes a, a cut, mm. uh, toll road-like, from from the, the traffic, if you like, that goes through the miners' operations. Now, that's great when things are good. It's also terrible when things are bad, and you get a very leveraged outcome there because of the risk that we just talked about. You, right. you're, you'll get a fixed portion. And I'm also, by the way, talking about, and this is where it gets a little bit murky and why I'd frankly give it a big miss. It's a single asset business right now. They're going to go and try and find more of these. Now, we don't yet know how they'll raise funds, how much they'll pay, what those royalties will be like, how diversified or not they'll be, in what assets you're invested. In other words, the business now is almost certainly not going to look like it, the same thing in three, five, ten years' time. So why buy, why buy shares not knowing what that will look like? And for me, that's enough to say, you know what? If you're a retailer and you might grow, that's one thing. If your business is a structure to collect royalties and it might be in any asset, in any commodity, in any jurisdiction, it's a jockey play. It's a straight out jockey play. You've got to believe that the current management will create value for you despite raising capital and probably lots of capital to buy lots more things over time. Mm. Is it a great financial engineering you know, masterstroke? Maybe. 
uh, or is it a big sinkhole for investors who get too excited? Very possibly. Again, you can't know, so I can't say invest in it. All right. So that's another thumbs down. Mark, what do you reckon? Um, just adding to that, yeah. <clears throat> what, they, what they're doing is they're providing capital to the business. So let's say you're a small, mi- small gold miner and you need $10 million to actually build the operation to start mining. Yep. What these guys will do is they'll come in and make their judgment based on the resources and all the rest of it and say, OK, assuming they like it, yep. we'll give you the $10 million and then we get uh, $100 an ounce you know, of every ounce of gold that comes out of the mine for 10 years or something like that. Gotcha. So they work on then getting a lot higher return and they make their own judgments on gold prices yeah. and all that. And it's not only gold, these guys are actually going to provide that model to other uh, metals as well. Uh-huh. The, the, the global champion on this is Franco Nevada, you know, which is a uh, US, oh. I think it's US originally. Uh, well, Fra- maybe French, sounds Franco Nevada. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Franco Nevada, anyway, sounds sure. like French. Uh, yeah. Anyway, they, um, they're the biggest one. Okay. And they're a streaming, gold streaming business, the same thing. Yep. So it's providing capital, it's a worthwhile thing. Yeah. So if you're a miner, the question is, are you better off doing a deal like that, which is no risk uh, from a ca- debt point of view, or do you issue shares um, and raise your own capital? So mm. it's a good, there's nothing wrong with it. The real risk, exactly what Scott said, is going to be their ability to identify or find businesses that want to be funded that way, because yep. uh, they're giving away part of the profit, and the profit risk isn't to them. You know, they get a fixed amount per ounce or whatever it is dug out, not a uh, percentage of profit. Uh, do you, can you find those deals? Can you do deals that make sense? You know, h- how do you manage your capital? There's so many moving parts and all that. As Scott said, we've got no idea what they're going to do. Yep. So it's a total, total speculative. Okay. All right. So interesting. Um, but Rob, no, no love there from the two experts. We are halfway through. So let's do a quick summary of the five stocks that we've chatted about. Unfortunately, or oh, fortunately, again, I shouldn't apologize for this because uh, you have to be fussy in this game. We started off very strongly with the stock of the day, uh, Nick Scarley getting two big thumbs up, but everything else pretty much thumbs down across the board. Uh, Westpac, just, uh, you know, no love there whatsoever. A lot of structural issues and it, frankly, it's just not in the price at this point in time. So neither of the gents like that. Integrated research, Mark is a buyer. Scott, not yet, but says it is a well worth uh, to watch. Uh, Megaport, uh, just uh, very interesting here, but it looks like it's a long way from break even and there's, uh, what did we say, 38 times sales. So you are certainly paying up for a few potential here not enough to get the two gents over the line Bellevue gold uh, I don't th- I think it's fair to say that around this round table there's not much love for miners in general but uh, with with this one um, there was no exception in fact that, that was definitely the case so two thumbs down to royalties interesting business model uh, if you like management if you back their capital allocation skills by all means but and unless you're very confident on that, uh, these gentlemen would suggest no. So what does all of that mean? Well, as you know, we do run our own portfolio here at The Call. And whenever we have our two experts agree that a stock is a buy, we add it to the portfolio. And we've been doing that since the 1st of July 2020. So let's have a quick look at how that portfolio has performed. And as you can see, there's lots of green on the screen there. Been a pretty good week but it's been a very good six months in fact that figure steadily creeping up over the last uh, few weeks or so uh, and there's a lot of movement and change within all of that as the screen is showing you at the moment you can go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and you'll find all of the major moves but just to give you a bit of a highlight of some of the things that have been added recently a2 milk alumina viva energy csl and Newix. A couple of stocks that got kicked out recently. We had Sydney Airport and Macquarie Group. Uh, in fact, we had uh, Mathan and Gurav on the show yesterday and we couldn't get consensus there. So they got the kick and they are no longer in the portfolio. All right, let's have uh, a look at five more stocks just to finish up the show. Uh, in fact, we're going to start with something that isn't a stock. This is an ETF mark. And this is an ETF that is I guess unusual um, from most ETFs, it's a strong bear fund ETF, BBOZ. Jim wants to know, is this the kind of investment that you'd be looking at? Well, so Jim, it would depend on your view on the market. Basically what they what they do is it takes a, it's negatively correlated to the S&P 500 in Australia. So effectively what you're doing is you're buying effectively a share in a hedge fund that is, and they use futures on the spy futures to bet against the market. So what, how you would use it is if you, for instance, you could say, I've got a million dollar portfolio and I'm really worried. I think we're heading for you know, a major uh, cliff and there's going to be a massive drama in the next 
two or three months, but I don't want to sell my shares, but I want to hedge it. So what you could say is you could put $200,000 into BBOZ and what that would do is give you about 500,000 uh, uh, relative coverage. So in other words, if the market goes up, you lose. So if the market goes up a dollar, you lose $2 effectively because yeah. your share price will go down. Yeah. And if the market goes down, you get double up. So it's a, it's a, I think it's quite a useful tool short term, I'll say short term, if you really have a strong conviction on and you're negative on the market, but you don't want to sell your shares, it gives you, it'll give you some comfort. Now, of course, what it'll do is if the market continues to go up, you'll lose money on this, so you're not going to get fantastic returns. There's well, no that chart lunch. is destined to always head downwards. Over the it? long term, yeah. market goes up. Yep. This one, the long term will go down, but there are short periods. Yep. Like if you look at March, this did really well. Yeah. In March, of course, because the, um, uh, the, the the index came down, so this went up proportionally. So it's a, it's a useful hedging mechanism, I think. Okay. Um, Without getting into clever stuff like options and futures and stuff, this is pretty straightforward. Okay. But, but um, Scott, Mark makes an interesting point there, but I guess it, the, the nub of it is you have to get the timing right. What was really fascinating about that chart that came up was, let's say that you went all in on this uh, at the start of the year because you felt that this pandemic thing was going to get out of control. You're absolutely right. You doubled your money in the space of, of, of a couple months, but it was only a month or two later and you're back to break even. And, and, and now, in oh, fact, no. you're, you're down about a month 30% percent or so. <laughs> so. So you you have to be bang on with your timing, don't you? You know what I mean at all, Andrew? You've absolutely nailed the, the very problem with this particular ETF, which is, uh, no, that's right. But, but the if words he used are the important ones, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a conviction, if you know what's <laughs> going to happen, you could use this to do well. Spot on. Absolutely right. Of course, if I had two wheels, I'd be a bicycle as well. So that, that, that's the key challenge, right? Is, is can you make that happen? I don't know. I, I'm not being on market, by the way. Mark's in the same camp, I'm pretty sure. You can't know. You know, none of us around this this virtual table are short-term traders or speculators. If I knew what was going to happen in the market this week, frankly, I'd go and buy shares. If I knew what was going to fall, as Mark said, I'd go and sell my shares. Holding a million-dollar portfolio and then buying some of this, just so you might cushion the blows somewhat, um, strikes me as... An insurance premium is just simply not worth paying. The market goes up more than it goes down. It goes up for longer periods and further than it goes down. Um, your chances of making money with this are minuscule over any extended period of time. Maybe you're lucky. Someone's going to make money at some point. You've already mentioned in that graph. shows very clearly someone made a lot of money early in the year and then everybody else lost a fortune for the rest of the year while they're waiting to be proven right. Now, maybe eventually, you, again, you get, you get it right from some degree at some point or some time. And look at that. Look at I mean, that. It's just <laughs> phenomenal, right? So knock, if, you, if you want to invest in it, oh no, sorry, if you want to speculate in it, knock yourself out. Um, if you'd rather torch your money, they go outside, light a couple of dollars, $100 notes on fire, then come back in the house. Um, you might as well do the same thing. Again, if you're, if you're a great trader, if you've got a 15 year history of picking market trends, great, but you probably don't need this ETF to help you. And if you don't, stay away. This is going to destroy your wealth. Yeah, there's uh, very little very little ambiguity there, Jensen. I'm going to throw my hat into the same ring there. Let's move on to something a bit more interesting. Craig wants to know about Whisper. Scott, let's stay with you here. SaaS Communications Management. I had a quick look at the, uh, the, the slide deck here and a lot, of, a lot of techie buzzwords. Is there anything real behind all of that? Look, there is. And I think this is the hard part, right, is these it's not miles away from mining speculators, to be honest. And this is this is why it's a, such a challenging problem, especially in the smaller end of the market with new and innovative companies, because some of these businesses will do really well for the reasons they expect. Others will do really badly, despite their best intentions and all the buzzwords and graphs and market opportunity you can find in all these presentations. They're always at the front. Numbers are always packed down the, down the end. The beginning is always a map of the world and how many trillion dollars the market's worth, all that kind of good stuff. Um, the, look, the good news is Whisper's actually getting results at the moment. So a little bit like, you know, a megaport earlier on, the question really is, can they turn this into sustainable, profitable growth? Or is this a nice idea never kind of gets borne out by the, the reality of the economics? And when I say economics, there's two things to think about here. The first is, can they ever be profitable? Number one, i.e., is the idea even viable? But even, you know, even before that, at a sales level, um, you know, is there enough volume, enough demand to justify the sort of expectations the market has? I think it's also fair to say tech in Australia is far more highly valued than tech in the US, including on the NASDAQ. Now, if that doesn't have, leave you a little bit of room for pause, it should, because the home of tech, the NASDAQ index, is cheaper than Australian tech. Now, maybe we're better, maybe we're bigger, maybe we've got more promise, maybe, 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 or maybe invest are paying up a lot because of the way the, the market is currently looking. And frankly, the sheer, you know, I was going to say, sorry, sheer lack of size of the available investment opportunities in tech in Australia. So look, for all that said, I think it's a promising idea. I think it's got 
it's got potential and there is a world in which it makes a lot of money for a lot of people there is a decent distance between now and then and so if you are buying it you're buying it with a decent <coughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, Scott's not a fan there, Mark. I'll, I'll throw some positivity this way. I mean, the annual recurring um, revenue is up 34% in the last year. They've exceeded their prospectus guidance. So yes, early stage, yes, risk. But is, the, is there a reason to, to back Whisper? Uh, well, not for us. <clears throat> I mean, tell me this. One of our premises was we want to be able to predict earnings, which we can't. And I agree with you, you know, sales growth is happening. It's a SaaS type business model, which we like. And Scott's right about Australians paying higher, more. And I think that's because we don't have many choices. I think that's the reason. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't think there's any rationale to it. I don't think our tech, our tech companies are uh, so worth shattering that, uh, in fact, being in Australia, unless they really are a global business, you've got a problem with growth yeah. compared to uh, NASDAQ based uh, US businesses. Um, some of the stuff what they do, I had a look at the business, didn't seem that unique or exciting. You know, they, they sort of coordinate messaging and contacts for companies and the sort of stuff they talked about, I thought, seems like you can do that with a lot of current products on the market. So they must have some clever smarts in there. You have to assume that, yep. otherwise they wouldn't be where they are now. Yeah, they're getting sales. <clears throat> they're getting yeah. sales. Uh, it's only got two years history. I'd want to see four years of good numbers okay. before we'd consider it. Uh, and, I, and the other problem is, Unless you really understand the people and the technology, how can you make a judgment of backing a company at this stage mm. if it can't demonstrate that it can make money? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just too hard. Yeah, I, I think, and there's no shame in in being um, putting stuff in the too hard basket. No. Charlie Munger talks about it all Absolutely. the time. In fact, that's my biggest basket that I have yeah. uh, for someone of limited capacity like myself. So I'm going to stay with you, Mark. Let's talk about Telstra, something completely different. Now, this is one that divides people, and we can well and truly go down the rabbit hole on this one. But let's let's avoid that temptation. Uh, 5.3% yield, does that get you over the line? No. No? Okay. <laughs> Short <laughs> and, and sweet. And the, well, the reason is uh, Telstra's, uh, it's a bit like we, we talked about the banks. You know, Telstra's a big whale. Uh, I've done extremely well investing into uh, small telcos, you know, like MNF and uh, TPG. MyNetphone, yep. MyNetphone, yeah. MNF, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so on. Uh, they've done really, really well, basically chomping away, uh, pro taking profitable parts of Telstra businesses and then operating on very low overheads and uh, can provide profitable uh, services. So that's worked for me. Telstra's always been you know, very you know, boring, if you like. I think it's, it's a very capital intensive business. One of the problems is 5G and so on. You know, expanding that's very expensive. Everything's expensive for Telstra. They already have very high debt levels. I think it's 130% debt to equity. So they've got very heavy debt. Uh, overhang as well yeah. and their earnings are actually uh, slipping so they're running at minus 2.3 percent a year with quite high stability mm. and sales are also going down at one and a half percent a year that's pretty flat mm. but it's negative yeah so you look at that and go well is that going to change suddenly i don't think so because i think um in fact they've got a massive free kick when the uh, ACCC blocked uh, TPG's merger with Vodafone and also the blocking of Huawei hardware they were going to use to get a, uh, right. a jump on Telstra. Yep. I think that would really damage Telstra. They were very lucky. Yeah. Uh, the the competitor, the competition watchdog did a really good job of making sure there was no competition. Okay. That's yeah. the best way to describe it. <laughs> that so, that no, is irony. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, return on equity is still okay. They're not going to go broke. I think Telstra sort of in long-term long structural decline, yep. in, in my view. I, I don't think they can make it dance yeah. ever again, in my view. What about... What about you, Scott? Um, I guess some people will, will point to uh, bond-like qualities, but then even then the dividend is half of what it was a few years ago. Is, is perhaps the worst behind them? The, the dividend's half, so it's the share price as it turns out. So I guess if you want to take that, uh, look, I, I, so we, we have a funny situation at, at the Monday floor. I've sold it out of our share advisor service because I don't expect it to be market beating. So let me put that on the table. We've also kept it though in our income uh, portfolio because I actually think for those income investors, who can use the franking credits and for whom they want to get a, a an income stream from dividends and from fully franked or partially franked dividends in Telstra's case fully franked it's an attractive way to go about building a, an income portfolio so there are other ways to do it but if you're looking for regular reasonably steady reasonably uh, reliable income i think Telstra's going to be it for the next decade or more um, i don't dispute any of mark's points around the challenges for the business it's a lumbering giant it probably will be the dominant telco brand for the next decade plus um, it probably will grow-ish or decline-ish around that 0%, give or take. It's just so big and there's not that much market opportunity for it. It's not going overseas. It's not going to new markets. It's not trying to find a new way for itself. It's just doing what it does, trying to keep costs down, trying to avoid too much price deflation that, frankly, it's going to be an everlasting fight. 
Um, so realistically, from as a business, I don't think it's going to be market big. I think there's not a lot of growth potential. But I have to say, if you can get four point something, five point something as an income yield plus franking credits, um, and you want to make it a cornerstone of income portfolio, it makes some degree of sense. So I'm a no. I, I'm going to say it's a sell on the basis of not being market beating. But I have to say, if you have an income portfolio made up of diversified um, shares and you're looking for that, I think Telstra's a, a very worthy inclusion in that. Albeit, as, as Mark's already said, you shouldn't expect a lot of capital growth in the next five and 10 years. All right, uh, Mark, did you want to add something I, to that? Yeah, can I add one more thing? I think another. I think viewers need to be careful too, because people often think of dividends and capital growth separately, and you really can't. So if, if Telstra uh, is declining at 2% a year, over the next five years, you'll have capital losses, which will overwhelm what you're getting in dividends. So what we're assuming, and this is based on them just continuing what they're doing now, mm. is you get, including dividends, 2.8% per mm. year return, which mm. is then a lot less than the 5%. Mm. So it's still positive, mm. but it's not very exciting. Probably so for me, it's, if you want to argue the dividend case, you just have to pay a lot less than what it is now yeah. okay. you know, to do it. So at a low enough price, perhaps, yeah. but, but not at this price. Yeah. Jeez, we've done it again, haven't we? Two stocks to go, not that much time left on show, but let's go to something that is far, far, far more interesting than Telstra. And Mark, this is ResMed. Now, this has got to be a wealth winner, right? It is. <laughs> so ResMed is a um, uh, quality company Tim Invest members have had for a long time. Uh, a couple of interesting things about it. The, it was an Australian uh, developed company. It's dual listed, but their main business is now the US. So, right. you can, so it's dual listed here for historical, uh, historical reasons. Uh, great company. It's expensive at the moment. It's on a PE of 43, which is uh, for ResMed is right up at the top of the red, you know, the top mm. of the top quarter, yep. which is not surprising after what we've gone through with Corona. These guys are into ventilators and CPAP and sleep apnea and so on. Yep. Um, they had a history, I think, where they had the longest run of having positive earning forecasts in the US and it was 11 years or something at yeah, every single right. quarter. Yeah. No other company had ever done that. That's that, right. that increased earnings. Yeah. Um, so very, very good business. Uh, growth rate, 13.5% uh, a year, which is excellent uh, over the last six years. Um, we're showing a returning about 8.6 per year at the current price. So mm -hmm. even though it's expensive, mm -hmm. you're still getting a pretty good return on a margin of safety is about 4%. Okay. Now, just to add though, it's worth looking at is th this is a company that has massively benefited from the Australian dollar uh, declining against the US dollar. So ResMed is one of the few companies that we've got where it's dual listed in the US. So you can actually then say, what are the numbers in the US? Because that takes out the exchange rate advantage. We've gained yes. as our dollar's gone down. Yep. Uh, those earnings are transferred into Australian dollars. Right. And then, well, I, I did it. I actually worked it out. Okay, there you go. Look at that. Now the earnings are eight point five percent. So the true earnings uh. are eight point five percent of your growth. Right. Not thirteen and a half. That yep. difference is the dollar. Yep. Um, and now you've only got six point nine percent return, assuming the dollar stays constant. Yes. And at the moment we're getting stronger. Yes. Now who knows? Yeah, where we'll be. I, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to bet against the US dollar for very long. I don't. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably an aberration, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? I okay. go back to parity. Some, some excellent points but there. But yes, quality company. Uh, and, um, and a buy. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, um, Scott, I think uh, this one's been tipped at the full too. You know, ask me to keep it brief, aren't you, Andrew? I'll do exactly that, mate. It has been a long-term recommendation of ours. I think this is one of the two Australian medtech-listed companies behind Cochlear that really do have decades-long growth potential. Sleep apnea is going to become a bigger and bigger issue among the developed and the developing world. Ironically, one of the great exports from the developed world to the developing world is obesity and sleep apnea. Uh, and the reality is that's going to be a growing, burgeoning market for many, many years to come. It adds health benefits and it also adds economic benefits Some research done relatively recently shown among long-haul truck drivers for example the use of a ResMed CPAP machine actually improved uh, lifestyle but also minimized accidents cost injuries all that kind of stuff hmm. there's a long-term compounder for me uh, it's not cheap as Mark said it's probably <clears throat> risen on the back of that demand for ventilators and that won't be repeated so again like other companies 2021 could well be volatile share price wise but if I was going to go to sleep wake up in 10 years time ResMed one of the stocks I have in my portfolio yeah. Okay, uh, there we. You know yes, what? That is that is our first two thumbs up for the uh, for the viewer nominated stocks. Let's go to Lucky Last Scott. I'm going to stick with you here. This is another telco, although at a very different league uh, to Telstra. Over the wire, OTW. Lamb wants to know: Is this one that you would buy? There are so many telcos on the Australian market right now, aren't they? Of different vibes and styles. Uh, you, don't, you don't think Australians like telco companies, so a lot of them list here. Uh, mm -hmm. Hypothetically, that could be the case. Look, it's a 33 times earnings. It's a small, you know, trying to do good things. 
it is doing reasonably well operationally so there's some positives there and if you believe that disruptors are likely to attack the incumbents which is what mark mentioned earlier in the program i think that's a reasonable approach to try and take so i wouldn't blame anyone for buying over the wire if you believe there is long-term growth just simply taking share in a, in a fragmented but reasonably stable market that's not the world's worst investment thesis I don't think that is enough for me at least to say this is definitely a winner given that multiple. I just don't know there's sufficient uh, visibility of long-term growth. Now, at lower share price on that graph gives a sense of where it has been. It was a much more attractive proposition. Maybe six months ago we had this conversation. It would have been a very different thought. But at 33 plus times earnings, I think you want to say it's a business that has some real potential. Uh, but again, as Mark's mentioned on, on other occasions about other companies, if you can't see that future and don't really have a strong belief that it will, it has a, a, you know, an unusually likely ability to get there, I think it's one I'd probably give a miss. What do you reckon, Mark? Uh, no, I agree with what Scott said. We, we have done quite a lot of work on this and met with management and so on. Okay. It was, we had some issues and stuff. It, it's, it's not that, it's a quite an opaque business on how they operate. It's not an easy one to get your head around. Right. Not uncommon in the telco space. True. To be fair. True that. Um, for me, uh, the return on equity and return on capital are below our minimum 10% at the moment. Mm -hmm. So that sort of kills it from the point of view of our filtering. Yep. Um, we're showing it returning 4.4% if you buy it at today's price, and it is in the red PE, it's not cheap, yep. um, and 15% on uh, default. Okay. So it's not overly expensive uh, if they can continue doing what they're doing, um, but I, I, I would want to see it down in the, uh, to get into the green of the PE, which is the bottom quartile, is $2.73, and it's currently $4.11. So if it got down somewhere near that area, I'd, be, I'd consider it. Okay, but, um, but not now. No, and it doesn't excite me compared to some of the other talkers I've had. Yeah, and as we often say uh, here on the call, uh, it is your job to be fussy as an investor. So there's a lot of things that do get the thumbs down, which not to say uh, for a second that they're awful, terrible investments. It's just no. that the experts have other preferences. Let's do a quick recap of the back five here and lots of thumbs downs here, just to my point there of being fussy. Uh, Beta shares the Australian Strong Bear Fund. Uh, Scott uh, likened that to burning $100 bills out the back. So I'll let you read between the, the very subtle lines there. Uh, Mark was pretty much on the same page. Uh, Whisper, two thumbs down as well. Very exciting uh, company, but just, you know, what exactly do they do? It's difficult to know. What's the competition like? Uh, just too early stage. Telstra, uh, the gents didn't like it. The only, I guess, exception to the rule might be if you had a very, very strong uh, dividend uh, focus with imputation uh, credits attached to that. But as Mark said, you do you can't ignore the impact to capital gains uh, with that as well. You have to look at things from a total return perspective. And on that basis, uh, neither gent uh, liked that one. We did get some love though with ResMed. ResMed got two thumbs up. This has been a very, very long-term success story for holders who have, who have stuck with it. Uh, and it's still worth buying today if you wanted a stock for the bottom draw. That means that it stays in our portfolio. Uh, it is one that is in already in the portfolio and it is going to stay there after today. Uh, and finally, we had over the wire, uh, just not enough uh, to, to get the guys interested, maybe for Mark, he said, if the price got lower enough. But uh, it's just a bit of an opaque business and uh, there's better options out there. I should have mentioned as well before, for the first five stocks that we had, we had Detura royalties also in the calls portfolio until today, that is. That is now out after Scott and Mark have weighed in. Well, that is it for the show for another day. We hope you did enjoy it. Uh, Mark Molin from Team Invest, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. Excellent. Uh, and Scott Phillips <laughs> from The Motley Fool. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Mark. Thank Always you. good to chat with you, gents. Remember, we can't do this show without you. It's very interactive. Uh, we would love some great stock suggestions. And if you want to send them our way, we would uh, receive them either via Twitter at TV or via email, the call at ausbiz.com.au. But until next time, my name's Andrew Page, and I'll talk to you soon.